Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Nick Pinizzato, here with the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. And we have a special treat for you today. Not that every show is not a special treat, at least in our eyes. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk to, we're going to talk about the number one buck, number one typical buck by score that has ever been taken in the United States. And it was taken just last season by Dustin Huff in Indiana. He's going to be our guest today. Now, folks, this deer was two and one eighth inches short of the Hanson buck, the world record. So this is the record for the United States. Uh, and he almost broke the world record. And it is an amazing story. It's the one that we thought would be the one to end our series on uh, deer stories as we head into more and more states are starting their deer seasons. And this is sort of the grand finale. And it is just, I, I really, really think you're going to enjoy this one. And uh, also, by the way, Dustin is a, a, a legit country singer and songwriter, uh, living some of his time in Nashville, uh, running with the big dogs there. He's very good. I love his music. And really, I think the other thing, and the doctor and I were just talking about this offline, he's as common as it gets when it comes to being a deer hunter. And Mike, you weren't available to co-host that one because you were trying to get your rear end settled there in New York at the time. And so we had Lindsay Thomas step in and help out. But you got a chance to listen to the interview. We're going to talk about it here. That was one of the big takeaways, wasn't it? Like he's just your everyday deer hunter. He is. And, you know, first and foremost, I uh, want to thank Lindsay for stepping in. And um, he did a great job and hopefully not too good so that he doesn't take over my role here. But <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but, uh, but you're, you're right. I mean, not to take anything away from Dustin, I... I heard so many parallels that I think the individual listener should really appreciate for a second, because I know potentially our initial knee-jerk reflex is to go, oh, well, come on, he's a country music singer, he's this, he's that, he's the other, and you mentioned that in in the interview, but if you really listen to it on, without any bias, he's he, there's a lot of things that he said that parallel the way that I look at things. I to, you know, we're recording just in the first of September. Now my cameras are going out today. I am one of those people that hunt for opportunity. And the fact that this mega giant shows up in front of his stand without him really understanding, and I'm not going to, you know, you know, steal the thunder from his story, but you know, what was potentially walking in front of him, I found so many just exciting parallels in that moment that really define why I hunt and why I go out. It truly is a, you know, this could happen to anybody kind of story. And like you said, yes. it's why we go. It's like, it's sort of like fishing, right? You go to a big lake and you throw your line out and you just, you don't know what you might catch on the end of your line. And the same thing with, with deer hunting. So yeah, we're excited that Dustin took time out to, to come on our show. Uh, and it's, it's a great story. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, and I did mention out of the gate that the doctor is coming to us from his pad in New York. Now he has settled in. He is in the seat there. He's got his little little recording studio. Sounds great. And so how, how are things going there, Mike? How are you settling in? Settling in really well right now. I, I mean, it's the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I was worried about the rain. We, you know that we were in a really massive drought up here and I just started getting rain a few weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, and I did get one food plot in and it's coming up. So I'm tickled about that. So it seems like right now things are finally going my way. But even with that being said, I still have a B team 
report. So, oh yes, and that is coming. We're going to do the B team report uh, after the interview. <laughs> we each have some, we we will always have something. By the way, uh, speaking about LT, by the way, Lindsey Thomas, who's who's going to co-host the interview. I would say that there, the chances of me being fired from the show are higher than you being fired from the show, Mike, because <laughs> yeah, I might be the, the CEO of NDA, but Lindsay's the CEO of our communications. And if Lindsay calls me up and says, hey, man, you ain't good enough on the show. We're making a change. Then I'm out. And that, <laughs> okay. that's how we run things here at the NDA. I don't I don't get involved in, in their business. And so that's that's Lindsay's decision. So, LT, if you're listening to this, I hope. Uh, when you do my evaluation at the end of the year on this, that I'm, that I'm doing okay. So but at any rate, uh, yeah. So, uh, Hey, uh, as I mentioned, this is going to be the last of our preseason deer stories to get us uh, sort of kicked off. Now, some people are hunting, I get it, but a lot of people aren't yet. I also want to point you to, and I was listening to this on my run this morning, uh, the deer season 365 podcast. That's our, our sister podcast at the NDA where Brian Grossman is talking to Michael Perry about his 190 plus inch Alabama buck. And that's a good one to listen to as well. So we've, Mike and I have already done a couple of these. We'll do three of these. You got the one here from, from G Brian Grossman, check that one out. And by the way, this is, I love these deer stories that are told by these guys from the deep South, like not, not like Kentucky South or I'm talking the deep South. And so I love this story when Michael tells it and just sort of the lingo he uses and I'm running and I'm kind of laughing at the same time. People probably think I'm nuts out there, uh, but it's a great story uh, on a public land, by the way, 190 inch deer on public land. So check that out. Uh, and then uh, next episode, we did this last year. I want to keep it a consistent thing. Next episode will be the annual B team preseason special where the doctor and I are going to talk about our preseason plans and things we have to look forward to. Yeah, I might bring a guest on to, to help the banter. I'm not sure yet. We'll decide on that. But we're going to call that the B-team preseason special. So that's going to be next episode. Uh, that'll be our late September episode. So look forward to that. Hey, our show sponsor today is Lacrosse Footwear. They are probably most famous for the, for the deer hunting world anyway. They've, they've sold millions of the Alpha Burley Pro boots, and I've, I've owned them, loved them. And that's really their most famous. But now they have the Arrowhead Sport. And I did just recently get myself a pair of these because I needed a, a new pair of rubber boots, and they are awesome. I put them on for the first time, and I didn't take it easy. I went and I walked miles in these things, and they felt great. Uh, they just, I think it's really going to be a winner for them. I got them in first light camo, which is cool. So check out the Arrowhead Sports. They're also great supporters of conservation. They're an NDA partner. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you know this, Mike. I actually was in a lacrosse commercial years ago when I was with Delta Waterfowl. So I think I cool. did know that. Yeah, they come out and filmed us out in the swamp in North Dakota. That was pretty cool. Probably about as famous as uh, I'll ever get. Uh, but anyway, uh, we should probably try to have Troy Hellman on the show at some point from lacrosse. He's a great guy. He's our main man that we deal with there. And I just like what on their website, our story starts in the middle. It says everything we make is built with purpose. We've been doing it that way for over a century. This is true, even knowing that every new pair of boots we send out into the world is by nature unfinished. Only when they're worn in the toughest conditions Mother Nature can dish out do they earn their name. And that's very true of lacrosse boots. So uh, check them out, lacrossefootwear.com. Current NDA fundraising sweepstakes. We are right now, thanks to our friends at Weatherby, 
we are going to give away three Weatherby Vanguard Talus 6.5 Creedmoors. We're going to have three winners. There are, it's 20 bucks for 10 entries. If you spend 100, you get 100 en entries and upward from there. So the more you spend, the more entries you get. Again, we're giving away three of these things. They're going to end on September 13th at 11.59 p.m. So uh, that's, that's when things end on that one. I, I'm, a, I'm an owner of a Weatherby Vanguard, although it's in a, um, a 300 Win Mag. It's a more of my Western gun, but it's a great shooting gun. And I have shot deer and antelope with the 6.5 caliber. And so I can tell you it's very efficient, uh, very, uh, very light in terms of recoil, very comfortable gun to shoot. And I just know that the Weatherby in the 6.5 is going to be an awesome gun. So take advantage of that. Also, before I forget, the doctor mentioned we're recording here today on September 1. You're hearing this on, I guess it would be September 7th. But uh, today we just launched our brand new How to Age Deer in the Field video. This is updated. Uh, it's out. It's fantastic. It's narrated by Kip Adams, our chief conservation officer. But many of us on the NDA team had a hand in it. It was fun as we were pulling this together, debating back and forth the ages of some of these deer. And that's one of the beautiful things about aging deer on the hoof. It's not exact, but you can get pretty close, especially if you watch this video and learn how to do it. And uh, it makes for good debate. We think it's good information. It was produced by our friends at the Bearded Buck. Uh, maybe you've seen that if you haven't, check out the Bearded Buck television show. They also have the off-season web show. Very good stuff. They produced it for us. It looks outstanding. And you get a 20-deer test as well. So after you see those 20 deer and you test yourself, you're going to uh, be primed and ready to go for this season in terms of aging deer on the hoof. So be sure to check that one out. You can find that on our YouTube page, also the Deer Association website. Doctor, this is an Ask NDA Anything episode, and we got a couple good ones. And I, you know, it's interesting, the closer we get to the hunting season, or when hunting seasons start, we start getting the ones that pertain to hunting season. So uh, these are both hunting season related, and, and we'll both take a stab at these. So this one comes from Brian in Mississippi. He says, convince me I should try saddle hunting, and it's not a fad. I'm mostly a public land hunter that goes deep into the timber uh, to get away from people. And so um, I'll take a stab at this one. And then the next one, Mike, I'll let you go first. Uh, this one, Brian, I don't think saddle hunting is a fad. And matter of fact, I think it's going to continue to grow. And uh, one thing I'll say initially is saddle hunting isn't really new. It's been out there for quite a while. I think what's growing is you're seeing more of it. And I think you're seeing more of it because more people are doing it. And then naturally, you're going to have more companies spring up to support that need. And so here's my uh, convincing for you. I, I hunt, you hear me talk about hunting in Delaware and in the, in the great Cypress swamp with my friend, Ron Hawes. And Ron makes you do a lot of walking, man. I mean, you don't have to do a lot of walking, but if you're hunting with Ron, you're going to do a lot of walking <laughs> to get to where you want to hunt. And so instead of strapping a full stand on my back and a, you know, set of heavy sticks and all that, and trying to do it that way, saddle hunting has changed the game. I mean, literally with my little platform and my climbing sticks that are really designed for saddle hunting, you can go much lighter, you can go much further. And with just a little bit of practice, and the doctor can attest to this, I don't want to steal all the thunder on this question. You get pretty efficient at getting up a tree quickly and quietly. And it's to me, I don't, I don't see any reason for me to ever carry a tree stand, whether it be a climbing stand or a hang on stand again, now that I'm saddle hunting. Doc, what do you think? 
Well, I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go philosophical on this one. Um, I agree with everything that you've said in regards to what saddle hunting has to offer. And, and for this question specifically, he mentioned about going deep into public land. And yes, lighter makes that journey easier. Less bulky makes that journey easier. But at the end of the day, I think I would I'd like everyone to hear, and I'm sorry for kind of going getting up on the soapbox for this question, is that we're all hunters. We're not saddle hunters. We're not tree stand hunters, et cetera, and so on. No one says that, hey, I'm a ground hunter. I'm a ground blind hunter. The saddles are a tool. And if this question relates to, should I buy a saddle as a, another hunting tool? My answer should be is yes for that 100%, because in the situation described, I think that I would prefer to have something that is much quieter, much less bulky, won't bang or clang as I'm walking through brush to get me to where I want to hunt more successfully. But that doesn't mean to say that if you become someone that hunts or owns a saddle, by definition, you're still a hunter that owns a saddle and that might own a, a hang on that might own a ground blind, et cetera, and so on. So that's a little bit of a philosophical way to look at it. But based on the situation described, I think if it was me personally, I'd rather have the saddle, but it's just a tool. And if I find a situation where I'm going to pull out my ghost blind, I'm going to be on the ground behind that ghost blind. So that's the way I'm going to answer that. Yeah. Great answer. And I agree with you. I mean, on my personal land, I have hang ons. I, as a matter of fact, I even hung another one. So I think I've got, five that are just permanent not permanent but you know they're sets with ladders with sticks that you just go climb up but that's different i mean not everybody has that opportunity to do that i get it uh so but yeah i don't think saddle hunting is a fad i also would absolutely agree with the doctor that there are a lot of ways to get the job done and it doesn't always mean it has to be a saddle or a hanger on or a blind or whatever so all right great question o'brien thank you all right the next one's a good one too doctor you're going to lead this one off uh, this is Greg from Vermont. So we've gone from the top of the country to the bottom of the country here. Uh, Greg, thanks for your question. Uh, and I, I love how short his question is. He doesn't give me a lot of context, but it's good. He says, shoot a doe opening day if given the opportunity, yes or no? Heck to the yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. I mean, it's it's one of those things when my freezer is empty and a big juicy doe walks by, it's, it's on. And I got a great big grin on my face and it's going to happen because um, for me, I like that, you know, so like, sorry for my very visceral reaction, because I mean, I just got excited about that. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting after a big juicy on the first day. But what I will tell you is that I like getting my dough tags filled early because it lets me shift my focus better later in the season. So when, if it's pre-rut, rut, and a doe or several doe come by, I am not tempted to put one down, especially if the season's been hard at up to that point. And then maybe a hundred yards, 200 yards behind them might be that buck that I've been waiting on. So I like getting that doe tag filled to fill the freezer and to change my mindset in the way that I hunt later in November. Yeah. Love the answer. I can't add a whole lot to that. I will say, I think where this question might be coming from is, uh, some people, I hear them say, well, I had a doe come through. I wish I would have took her, but I just I just thought a buck might be right behind her. You know, I, I guess I get that. I think it's different if you can actually see a buck that you're after coming behind the doe and you got your buck tag to fill. I, obviously, at that point, if you want to shoot that buck, you probably shouldn't shoot at the doe. 
But think about your hunting experience. Out of the last hundred does you saw, how many times when she came through, then that big buck was right behind her? Like not very many, right? I think you can take that doe, but you don't have to get down depending on your state. I, if you're in a state that happens to be one that if you shoot an animal, you can't shoot another one until you recover the first one. Uh, some states, I guess, have those rules. Then I get it. You have to get down and you have to take care of the deer. But I have certainly shot does on opening day. Mike, you and I both shot opening day do does a couple of years ago. And I just stay up. I stay up and hunt as long as I want to hunt with the idea that, listen, deer run through the woods and make noise all the time. Deer are used to that. Just because there is a buck 100 yards away and he hears a commotion doesn't mean in his mind, they don't think like people like, uh-oh, that was Lucy up there. I think she just took an arrow. I'm not going over there. I mean, that's not how deer think, right? They hear a disturbance, they wait it out, they get calmed down and they go on. So I would say, yes, don't hesitate. The doctor gives good advice. Fill your doe tags early if you can. And uh, then you can get focused on an antler deer if that's what you're after. But anyway, two great questions there. Uh, Mike, I made you pick who got the prize last time, and then I ended up giving both people a prize. I'm going to give this. Uh, I'm going to give this one to Greg in Vermont because I just got a kick out of how short his message was. <laughs> no context. Just get to the point. Yes or no? I love it. All right, Greg. Yeah. You're getting a actually email me your address and let me know if you prefer a an NDA water bottle or an NDA hat. All right, stay tuned for the B team report after the interview. Uh, just as a reminder, you'll hear the voice of Lindsay Thomas as the co-host of this interview. Uh, and also, um, you know, hey, let's sit back and enjoy this one. This could this very well could happen to you. This isn't any man's deer, any man deer hunting situation. So let's go ahead and hear about the top scoring buck to date in the United States from the man who killed it, Dustin Huff. It is our pleasure to welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast, Dustin Huff. He is a country music artist and a darn good one. We're going to talk about that. So he's a songwriter and a vocalist. And uh, oh, by the way, he also happens to have shot the biggest typical whitetail in the United States ever. He did that last season in Decatur County, Indiana. And he just missed the world record by two and one eighth inches. Although I don't feel like that. I'm guessing, Dustin, you don't feel like you missed out on anything Oh um, no, I, I still can't believe it. <laughs> yep. And so uh, we're fortunate to have you on the show. We really appreciate you giving us your time. You're a very busy guy. So thank you for that. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about you and if you don't mind kind of start with, uh, from whenever you're a young guy, you know, from, and just getting into the hunting journey and the music journey. Cool. So, uh, well, Nick, I appreciate y'all having me on here. Um, so I'm 28 years old. I'm from Greensburg, Indiana, uh, born and raised. I grew up hunting, fishing um, ever, since I, ever since I could walk. Uh, went with my dad, uh, started squirrel hunting when I was 10 years old, started deer hunting when I was 12. Um, yeah, so it's just how it was where, I was, where I was from and where I grew up. And so the, the music part of it too, because we want to talk about that. Like, how did that all come along? Was it just sort of part of your upbringing? Yeah. So uh, my dad was in a band for seven years. Uh, he was the front man, the 
he's written probably 10 songs in his life, uh, was always playing old classics, Waylon, Merle. Uh, I grew up on all that old stuff, cassette tape sitting in the basement, uh, learning how to play guitar with dad. And uh, he taught me how to play when I was 12 years old, about the same time when I started deer hunting. Yeah, so cool to have a dad in your life to take that much interest in you and you took interest in him. And I think that's just a, that's a great American story. And so I want to say this about your music and this is what I want to talk about first. We're going to get into the deer, but I want people to hear about your music and you as an artist, because um, I think you're an outstanding songwriter. And I was, as a matter of fact, yeah, just the other day I was out, um, finishing up a couple food plots and I was listening to your stuff the whole time. And I just had it on shuffle I listened on an Apple music and the, the lyrics are just, they're outstanding. And I know you take a lot of pride in your songwriting. Uh, but you also, you just mm-hmm. released a few songs, uh, should be fishing, small town stuff and good dog. Uh, those are great, man. Yep. So does, does your, obviously your outdoor lifestyle has uh, leads to some of the inspiration for those, but just take us through that process as a songwriter. Like, how do you get there? How do you turn thoughts into a song? I'm not really quite sure, man. Uh, I just kind of, it just kind of clicks in my head. Like I'll just hear a melody or I'll get a, somebody will say something and I'll be like, Hey, what'd you just say? And then turn that into a lyric or a title or, um, or just when I'm driving, sitting in a tree stand, just mowing grass. I'll just, I'll hear something in my head and go, shoot, I'm going to, and then I'll get on the guitar later that evening or something and then come up with some chords and just that melody or that whatever lick or whatever it is. It's just, it just pops up in my head. It's, I don't know when it started. Um, I wrote my first song when I was 15 years old and that's, I think that's whenever it kind of, you know, my, my brain's always going at all times thinking of the next lyric or idea or something. That's what's always has amazed me about musicians like you, Dustin, is that, I mean, I'm a writer. That's basically what I do for a living as a journalist. Um, So I understand the writing part of songwriting and I I play guitar a little bit for myself to entertain myself. I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination. So I understand that amazing step from having written lyrics to then put it with a melody and the music together. It's like having two amazing skills in one. Um, And so that's, I'm extremely impressed with anybody that can do that. And you can clearly do that well. Thank you. I appreciate that a bunch. I was just sitting here thinking, once again, I find myself on the podcast being the least talented person in the room. So (laughs) someone's, someone's got to play that role. And so that ends up being me again. And so, but back to the lyrics. So I have some favorites that you, that you sing. I, 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 I like, uh, I should be fishing. I could certainly relate to that one. Um, uh, she's a little more downtown is one that I really like because it, it makes me think of it's that song to me is like about any kid that's like sort of a country boy, but he might take a shine to a girl that lives in the town next town over. Right. And she seems like unattainable. And so you're laughing. So is that yeah. sort of where the inspiration came from for that song? Yeah, this, it's been years ago. Uh, there was a girl um, that was, she was a little more downtown and I was just too, too backwards for her. But uh, yeah, that's where the song came from. Uh, just like all my songs, just life, just, you know, 
um, what I go through or, you know, what I see people go through or, you know, just experiences really. Yeah, I love the lyrics and uh, we'll talk about Good Dog here more in a second. But uh, the other song, the one you just released, Small Town Stuff, was another one that really hit me that way. Uh, here, there's just a few of the lyrics in that song, folks. And if you haven't heard it, you better run and, and listen to it here after the show. But uh, the, the one that really hit me was Flying High After Friday Night Lights, Dropping Tailgates on Hand-Me-Down Trucks. Like, who hasn't been there, man? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, that's just how it was. I'm, I know y'all can relate, uh, you know, after Friday night, like if, if it was a football game, basketball game, I mean, me and my, you know, group of buddies and, you know, our first loves, man, it was just, we would just go find a spot somewhere and uh, have a good time till, till the next day, really. Yeah, just amazing stuff. And I, like I said, I really, I love it. And I've been listening to it a ton. Um, and so I'm going to switch gears a second here. And this is something that I, as I thought about what we'd talk about, it wasn't an area that I was thinking of going to. And I'm, it's unfortunate that we're even going to go here. But you just uh, lost your companion, Cash, your dog. And I learned through your Instagram that Cash was actually the inspiration for the song Good Dog. And uh, I know this pain. I just lost uh, my dog earlier this year. She was 14. And I got to tell you, like, mm -hmm. if I would have listened to this song, you know, right after that happened, I'd be bawling my eyes out all day. I mean, it's just some of this stuff really hit home and I know it's still raw for you now, but what, what to you stands out about cash? Like what are the, the biggest memories you'll take home as, as you're able to get past this difficult stage and just appreciate the relationship you had? Well, so, um, I lost cash. It's probably been over three years now. So oh, I it, see. it's been a while. Um, yeah, since I lost cash, but so this was at the time. So I had cash my I got him my senior year of high school and uh, he was six years old when he passed away. He got hit by a car actually whenever I was in Nashville recording some songs and I got the phone call from my mom and dad that, hey, cash is gone. He got hit by a truck. And that just, I mean, it just absolutely wrecked me, you know, just because I was the last time I seen him was about two weeks. I was down there for like two weeks writing and recording. And so, I mean, the last time I had seen him had been a little while and then getting that phone call just and not being able to, you know, bury him or my dad had to do it and just all that. But so I, a couple months went by and, you know, it was still, you know, how it is. And um, I was in a co-write with some friends and, uh, you know, we were just kind of shooting ideas back and forth. And, um, my buddy had said something along the lines of like, you know, God, he must've needed somebody. And I was like, yeah, he, he must've needed a good dog. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I, and yep. then right then we started writing that song and, uh, yeah, it was, it's one of those things. It's one of those songs that it took me months it might have been a year before I could even like show people to like play it out just because I couldn't even get through the song <laughs> shoot whenever I was writing the song I was breaking down on you know lines and stuff so it's just you know how you know how a good dog is man it's it's one of them things yeah your your lyric that really hits me in that one is that I ain't I ain't mad I can't blame the man at all God must have needed a good dog and you kind of close with that toward the end of the song. And I just thought, man, that 
that just really hit home with me. And so thank you for that. And a lot of people, I think, that have lost pets that will hear that will thank you for that. So just a, a wonderful song. So, all right. I know uh, people want to hear about this deer. And this story is out there. So, folks, I would encourage you uh, not not just to listen to what we're going to talk about here today, but there are several different uh, folks and entities out there that have talked to Dustin about his buck. Uh, just go ahead and Google the Huff Buck. Uh, and Lindsay, uh, Mike Mike Groman, our, our regular co-host, and I joked about this in another episode. If anyone uh, Googles the Lindsay Thomas buck or the Nick Pinizzato buck, they ain't going to see much, are they? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go out there and Google the Huff Buck, you'll find everything you need. But Dustin, um, like I said, this story is, is pretty well told. But on the evening of November 4th of last season, uh, you shot the deer of, of a lifetime. And so I want to get into the weeds, into some different areas that maybe haven't already been talked about. Although this is your story, you take it anywhere you want. But one of the things that stood out to me is that you shot this deer on the very same property where you shot your first deer ever. And you also shot this deer with a secondhand crossbow that you picked up. So let's start with, I wanna hear more about this place that you grew up hunting. We all have them, we all have these special places. Like to me, that just adds so much to the, to the entire experience. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a 185 acre hog farm uh it's my dad's buddy um he's a big farmer around the area so we've been he's been a family friend since i was you know a little toddler um i remember him coming over cutting up deer and um then whenever i got old enough to you know go squirrel hunting with dad and uh that's where we'd go we'd go squirrel hunting at troy's and um so i knew that property i've known that property like the back of my hand since i was you know running around in barney boots <laughs> um but uh yeah it's just it's just uh it's a beautiful place it, heck i used to vaccinate hogs there <laughs> i used to power wash um on occasions but it's just a but the woods and it's a 50 50 woods 50 timber um or sorry crops and timber and uh a lot of fingers coming out through from a from a pond. Um, a lot of funnels. A lot of uh, what do you call um, fence rows? Um, so I mean, there's there's play there's it's it can have a place where you can kill big deer. Like there's been big big deer around that area, but I had never seen a, you know a big deer other than the ones the one thirty four that I killed and then the one fifty three that my dad killed back in the day, but. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's just it. Like the, the part of the story you mentioned shooting a 134 that had been your biggest buck before that. And so like when I was, when I was first becoming familiar with your story, I started thinking back to the places I first hunted as a kid and as a little kid, you know, you sit there and you dream about the big buck showing up. I mean, did you do that as a, as a, as a child learning to hunt sitting out there in those same places? Like literally I would visualize like the phone call to my dad and be like, I would visualize the, I just killed a monster bug. You know, ever since I was 12 years old, I've envisioned that like, and then it happened. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Well, then you got to make that phone call. I mean, what was that like? I mean, other than the shaking, you probably had trouble punching the, punching the name in. Yeah. Uh, the first, my, 
two phone calls that I made um, was the first one to my girlfriend, McKaylee, um, just because, you know, I had been hunting that whole week and <laughs> she's she's the one that lets me go 10 hour days uh, during <laughs> October, November. So um, so I was on, like I said, day seven, eight, and I just wanted to beat the 134 that I killed in 2020. Just, I, you know, I've, I've killed 125s, 127s, 130, 134. And I'm like, I got to get a, you know, I'm just shooting for 135 or above. And then, uh, so I called her and then the next person was my dad. Cause dad's always, um, you know, texting me when I'm in a stand, like any deer, how's, how's the, you know, how's the sit today or, so uh, me and him were texting back and forth. And then just whenever I called him and I told him, he was just, he, he didn't believe it. He's like, there's no way that that deer is. And I was thinking 108, I was thinking 180 inch deer at the time, just because, you know, I hadn't even got up to him yet. I was still in the tree and I was just telling him, I'm like, dad, you need to get here. Like, this is the biggest deer that I've ever seen in my life that any of us have ever seen. He just couldn't believe it until he finally got to the woods and was just like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sure your dad would say you called the right person first. <laughs> yep. That's for sure. Yep. <laughs> Call her first and then pop second. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was definitely a wise choice. It makes telling this story again, over and over again, that much better, you know, so that she, she'll always know that she was the first call. Um, you know, another exactly. interesting, yeah. Another interesting part of this story is, you know, the first thing I think people might think of is, oh, well, this there's this successful country music guy. He's chasing big bucks all over the country, and he just ran into one. Well, that's not true. We've already heard that this is the property you've been hunting on. Your biggest buck before this was a 134. And the other thing is, and this is awesome, you had no clue, no clue that this deer was there. And so uh, talk about that for a second, but also I want you to, to tell us, do you think that that actually helped you stay composed not knowing exactly what that animal was? I think it did. Um, if I'd have known he was, you know, possibly world record or Indi United States, Indiana record, anything like that, any kind of record, I probably would have been a lot more. I mean, I was nervous for sure, but if I would have known what that deer was like, I'm sure the emotions would have been a lot higher than what they even were, but um, yeah, absolutely crazy. But yeah, so I hadn't known about this deer. Um, I don't run trail cameras on this property. Um, I used to in high school, I had one trail camera that I would run, but I just really don't just because I always felt like on this property, just cause I know it so well from hunting it, squirrel hunting it since I was a little kid, um, you know, I, I know where I've killed deer. I know where dad's killed deer. I know where his buddies has killed deer or where I've seen deer just hunting in the past 15 years there. Um, so I don't run trail cameras. And I think that was the cool, like thing about it, just because it was such a, oh my gosh, like, what is this deer doing? That's literally what I said. Like, what is this deer doing in a woods that I hunt? Like, I just couldn't believe it. And, um, yeah, I, I still can. I, I just go through that two minutes all the time of just like, why did this happen? I'll bet. It did, I got to ask you because I was wondering this. I think my first thought would be if I saw something like that, it'd be like, all right, either a deer escaped from some pen somewhere or somebody's playing a trick on me right now. Like, did that cross your mind at all? Yeah, I was just like, 
I just was in shock. Like still am like, just cause he just looks so like, I've seen a lot of deer in the woods, but like, he just looks so just not normal just because he was so big. He towered over every sapling. I mean, he was just moving sapling trees out of his way. Like it was nothing like it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Had you ever seen a, a, I mean, I know your dad shot a really good one out there, but had you or your dad ever seen a, you know, an unusually big deer out there, something in the 180 class, or was this a real sort of um, just a crazy thing that just happened? Uh, I think whenever I was in probably seventh or eighth grade, first, like when I first started getting hunting, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, around that time, there was a big 10 um, that I had seen like back, but back then I didn't even know how to, I didn't even know like what a score. I just knew him as eight point or 10 point or he's 14 inches wide. I didn't really know what scores were, but I would say he, that was the biggest deer and he's probably now knowing what a deer scores. He was a 170 probably. And that was a big 10 back in the, the day, but other than that, I mean, there are big deer that my neighbors get on, you know, trail cameras. Um, now talking with them a lot more after shooting this deer, just, you know, we've been, they've been showing me pictures just because I don't run and just showing me what's out there now and, um, and all the pictures of him. So there are big deer out there, but it just seemed like I never seen them. I mean, shoot, I hunted that for 15 years and had never even the only opportunity close was that 134. I was the only time I really had an opportunity to kill a, a shooter deer um, on that property other than moose. Let me, let me ask a question right here. So I understand, you know, from everything I've, I know about the story that after you killed moose, you had people coming to you and showing pictures they had videos of the deer over mm -hmm. a couple of seasons, two or three seasons from various distances yep. away. Like I think eight miles away was, was one of the locations. So mm -hmm. all, with all that information, do you think, did that buck have like a rut range? And that's, he was in the rut range while he was on the place where you killed him? Or do you think he had a home range off somewhere else several miles away and was just kind of on a excursion during the rut out of that, that range, sort of taking a, you know, a trip that like we know some bucks do. Uh, what do you think about mm -hmm. that? Where was his home range? Um, so from trail cam picks that my adjacent neighbor has of him, um, he's had him for three years also. So he's had him on Lucky Buck Mineral since he was a three and a half year old, four and a half year old. Five. So he started out as a 10. Whenever he first started getting pictures of him, he was a 10. Then he jumped to an 11 in 2020. And then to a 12 in 2021 but he's had consistent pictures of him but also a guy eight miles away who called me like two days after or actually facebook messages me after shooting moose um he said this is going to sound crazy because he was almost in the he might have been in the next county over he's like this is going to sound crazy but i have confirmed pictures i have pictures of that deer for three years also same exact 10 11 12 pointer but he was only going to that place eight miles away the only time he had pictures was december january february only time he had pictures and then my neighbor would start getting pictures in april may june july 
all through rut. And then the eight miles away guy, he never, the only time he would get him every year was December, January, February. So he must've been going back to that spot after, you know, season and then his winter season there and then coming back to around my property and my neighbor's property during the spring, summer, fall. Amazing. So the, the pictures on the it's middle, crazy. that was right next door. Yes. Yep. Having had the fortune of, I've had the fortune of hunting whitetails all across the country, many different regions. And having lived in the Midwest in Ohio for a while, I, I would observe similar things there, more so in the Midwest than anywhere I hunted where, where the deer will disappear for months and they'll, they'll winter or summer somewhere else only to return. Mm -hmm. uh, usually uh, one of the big moves always seem to happen shortly after the velvet comes off. And then the other one would be winter. They're going to go to where the best food source is that winter. And in your case, it sounds like that's probably what this deer was doing. Um, and so it's just one of those unique things that make deer so awesome. And I've had that experience too, where I've had pictures sent to me of uh, deer from guys that were miles away of the same deer that I had pictures of, which is pretty cool. So uh, you broke a lot of hearts whenever you took this deer down, but that's that's the name of the game. So, um, you know, well, the, the score on this deer was 216 and two eights is a is a gross. And then the net of 211 and four eights. This is a incredibly, incredibly um, symmetrical rack. I mean, with that few deductions and just missed, as we mentioned earlier, the Hanson buck, the world record, just missed it by two and an eighth inches. But I got to say, no disrespect to old Milo there, uh, our friend in Canada, but to me, this is more impressive. I mean, you not only, you made a decision to move to a different area on that farm because you just weren't seeing the action you were hoping to see. And you got to yourself within 40 years of this, 40 yards of this deer. This wasn't like a deer drive and a rifle or situation. I mean, you were, you were right there face to face with this thing. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, how it happened and what's crazy is so my neighbor, my adjacent neighbor that had all those trail cam picks of him, he was actually hunting that same evening. So he was after that because he was starting to get daylight picks of this deer. August or October 17th was his first daylight on my neighbor's property. This is all after I'm getting all this information after I killed him. Obviously, I didn't know. I didn't even really know my neighbor before I killed the deer. Um, so anyways, uh, he started getting in consistently on the 17th of October, 22nd, 26th, 28th, you know, daylight. So he took off that whole next week because he was like, if I don't hunt this deer, like he's going to get killed. And literally that evening we were in, he said, so he was probably, I was about a hundred yards from the fence row, which is the property line. And then he said he was up in this finger about another four or 500 yards. So I'm not sure if maybe where he was hunting, this deer had evaded him and came to me, or if it's, it was just one of those things. But after, but he said, like, after I shot him and I called dad and got the property owner and everybody over there, he goes, I heard the next day, whenever he come over, he goes, I heard you guys drag that deer out. He goes, I heard you guys hoop and holler. And he goes, I didn't know it was him until now, but he goes, I was getting out of my stand whenever you guys were getting going up to him and like high fiving and stuff. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Jeez. 
So yeah. life since the deer, I mean, I lots changed for you. I mean, you've gotten to meet some pretty cool people, some pretty popular people in our industry. You were on the Meat Eater podcast, which I thought that was a lot of fun. I saw you did an interview with the Realtree guys. They quickly picked out that you were wearing Realtree camo uh, when you shot the deer oh, yeah. magazine. Yeah, magazine articles. Uh, and now, obviously, this is the pinnacle, right? You're talking to Lindsay and I, so it doesn't get any any better than this. Yeah, moving on up. But so, what has that been like for you? I mean, you're you're to me, you you strike me as a really just sort of uh, just you're just a true guy, right? You grew up in the country, you got your country values, and now all of a sudden you're thrust into this. Yeah, um, it's been crazy, man. So this deer has changed my life, and you know, the best way possible. I just, I'm thankful for everything. I, and like I said earlier, like I, I just, every day I ask myself why, why this happened, you know? Um, but it's been nuts, you know, we're doing deer shows where, you, you know, we're linking up with different brands, companies, and it's just been crazy. Like I never thought going deer hunting, like I just, I'm a guy that goes deer hunting. I didn't even know there was deer shows or, I didn't even know there was a business behind the deer hunting. I'm just, I go deer hunting. And so I'm starting to learn this business side of it is it's a lot like the music industry. Um, as far as, you know, connecting with people and just making, you know, shaking hands and, um, just being good to people is all it is really just, um, but it's crazy. Just never thought going and sitting in a tree stand would, <laughs> would turn into, you know, talking to you guys or anybody um, about deer hunting. I'm curious, you know, the, the music industry and, and you being in Nashville and for several years trying to make it there, anybody who's paid any attention to the music industry and country music knows that young people that go to Nashville and try to make it, that's a hard road to hoe for a lot of folks and very few make it. Um, and, and many spend years in Nashville trying to hit it big. And I'm just curious if the deer, obviously, as you said, it's changed your life. Has it, has the deer given you an advantage on the, the music side? Has it changed things for you musically? In other words, has it opened any doors or changed um, your path on that side of things? Yeah, so um, I'm doing these deer shows and stuff, but I also, I'll bring my guitar with me, and um, it's kind of a two-for-one, you know, I'll talk about the deer, and then I'll play two or three songs, you know, for a group of people, or, you know, and people are starting to book me now for, you know, these deer shows, but also want me to play a 45-minute set, you know, and just, you know, get me out in front of people and, you know, promote these songs, and uh, yeah, it's it's a lot better than... Uh, a lot of the smoky bar gigs I was playing. <laughs> well, I, I, I heard did a, an event with the, I think it was the Ohio outdoors podcast, Paul Campbell and those guys uh, mm -hmm. did a, yep. uh, yeah, a, a kind of an outdoor venue thing. We need to do something like that and have a, have a uh, NDA event, have Dustin come and play. Absolutely. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, it's good stuff. I heard you tell someone else, I don't remember which one it was, about you really enjoy the songwriting, and you're obviously very good at that, but yeah. you got a great voice, too. I mean, a very soothing sound to it, so don't sell yourself short there, um, because it's good. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I heard other people say this, and I just want to reiterate it as we, as we wind down here. Um, it might have been Waddell who said it um, about basically saying that you were the right guy 
to shoot this deer. And I couldn't help but think that myself. I'm like, here's a guy who you represent every deer hunter, everybody that dreams of a big buck, but but maybe doesn't have the time to spend hours and thousands and thousands of dollars on land and whatever. And he did it. And I don't think it's changed you one bit other than you're, you're even more popular now. So uh, you're a great ambassador. I think you're the right guy to shoot this deer. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm just, I'm just, like I said, I'm just thankful. And I mean, I still can't believe it. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just gonna, what I'm trying to do in this, I guess the hunting industry, I see a lot of um, negative. There's a lot of good and a lot of negative amongst us hunters. And I just, I just want to be the everyday hunter that anybody can go out and do this. Like, you just got to be out there. You got to be out in the woods. Just go deer hunting is what I always say. Like you can run a hundred cameras. You can spend 50 grand. You can try to pinpoint these deer. But at the end of the day, just go to the woods, go deer hunting, go sit in a tree and enjoy the, enjoy the sunset sunrise. And um, yeah. 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 I love that. So you've been very generous with your time. We appreciate it. Like I said, it's a real honor for us to have you on here. You don't get to talk to the guy that has the biggest deer ever taken, uh, biggest typical whitetail in the United States on your show very often. So thank you so much. It's a highlight for us. I'm a, I'm a fan of your music for sure. I've really, really gotten to like it. And I listen to all of it and I encourage people to do that. And I want you to everyone to look up Dustin uh, and listen to his music. I, I use Apple Music myself, but you can go really uh, anywhere that you download your music and you can just search for Dustin and you'll get his music there on Instagram and also Facebook. You can find him at The Huffbuck. Am I missing anything there, Dustin? Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, all my stuff's on all the streaming services, iTunes, just wherever you listen to music, uh, you'll be able to you know see see what's coming out or what is out. And then uh, as far as shows and uh, stuff with the deer and music, it'll be on my Facebook and Instagram. So. All right. Well, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate you being on. And if we can work together down the road, as Lindsay said, I think that would be awesome. And uh, I'd like to get to know you even some more and, and uh, work together down the road. All right. That'd be awesome. I appreciate y'all having me. Great meeting you, Nick. Great meeting you, Lindsay. Hopefully too, we can Dustin. work something out in the future. What do you say, Mike? I just, <laughs> going through the interview and then listening to it a second time, um, he was, Dustin to me was the perfect guy to get this deer because as you said at the outset of the show, he's not someone who's got 2,500 managed acres that he's owned for years and has these kind of deer walking around all over the place. He's a guy that's just hunting a place where he's always hunted from the time he was a kid. I mean, this is where the property he shot his first deer on. He has no idea that this deer is there. And he goes out and, and gets a chance to shoot this animal. And I was thinking about the places where I grew up hunting and thinking back where you sit there as a kid and you're thinking, man, wouldn't it be awesome if like a world record deer walked through here? But it actually really happened to him, which is pretty awesome. Well, if you think about the place that you hunted when you grew up, there, there's been a 21 point shot there. I don't know how many points that buck that was shot last year was. So those things do happen. But I, I think that I like your point you know, on the outset where you said this is any person's deer. I mean, man, woman or child. I mean, this could be this could have happened 
truthfully to a first time hunter, which where are you going to go from there? But Hey, whatever. But the, the fact that of the matter that this individual was hunting a place that he cut his teeth on hunting and that magical circle of hunting or that magical dream comes to fruition is just why I do it because you never know. And I think that's what really pulls me into the woods every year is that fact that you never know. And when it does occur, does that never know make you excited? And if it does, that's why I do it. Yes, absolutely. You hear a twig snap and that's the excitement, excitement of hunting. You just never know. And, uh, you know, and it's funny that deer had been around that area for, for a few years. And it's not that Dustin didn't have any cameras or have any information, but he didn't have any, you can have cameras everywhere and not get a picture of a deer that shows up, especially during the rut. We hear these stories all the time of somebody that shoots a deer they never saw before. And some poor guy three miles away has a hundred pictures of the deer and his heart's broken. Right. And so uh, it's just a great story. Dustin is just a great guy, great singer. Please check out his music. It's very good. He's a great songwriter. I mean, just love the lyrics. It, it brought me back to a lot of uh, memories myself. So again, thanks to Dustin for sharing the story with us. And we were lucky to have him here as a guest on the show. All right. Time to clear the stage. We have the <laughs> B-Team report. Mike, I'm going to let you start this one because I've been I've been on this road with you. You and I have been talking about this situation for weeks now. You take it away. You're up first. All right. So everyone is aware that's listening or has consistently listened that I've been I have my four wheeler down and it's really put a bind in my preseason preparation. And so I finally swallowed my pride and took it to the shop and had them work on it. And I got a call the other day that it was ready to go. And, and that was it. They left the message. I was in class. And so I called them back and I was curious. I said, okay, well, first, first I said, what's the total? And they said 70 bucks. And I thought, okay, because as you know, I bought the fuel injector for $161 and couldn't get it in. And so I thought, okay, they just charged me labor. I said, so was it the fuel injector? And the guy's response was no. And it was like, I got punched in the gut. <laughs> he said, it was a worn spark plug wire. And he said, we just had to replace that, but we took everything apart anyways and took a look at it. And so now I still am sitting on this $167 fuel injector. That's brand new and completely useless for the four wheeler at this time. And it was just a spark plug wire. So I have to hustle home this weekend and go pick up that four wheeler and get to get to work up here. I hate my, my rule is I never run the four wheeler and work in September before the season, but this year I have to, because I'm so far behind just because I was so proud. And uh, apparently I'm not a, like a four wheeler UTV technician mechanic. So there you go. And the unfortunate thing for the listeners is they don't know how many times you and I talked about this as this was sort of going along the whole point of, you know, you going and having to get special tools and, and it's it just, and then, and then to the point where you mentioned about your, you got a food plot in, you didn't really mention that you did that entire thing by hand because you yes. didn't have the ATV. Yeah, I did that with a, a Troy built little, little Troy built Bronco with like, I think the, the tines that are like 12 or 14 inches wide. So that was like three and a half hours of running that little puppy, just grinding it out. And then I didn't have my culture packer, you know, my culture packer on the back of a three point hitch. So 
I drug a, a cyclone fence with a log in it to kind of pack the soil and level everything out the best I could. Then I seeded, then I drug a light drag. But the thing is, I actually had a towing chain wrapped around my waist. I'm like trudging through. And the sad thing is, it's like this one food plot. If you're in a big enough truck, you can see me from the road. And I know that there's one truck that just, I could hear the tires humming and all of a sudden he slowed to a crawl. And here's like, you know, me, the pack mule down there, just dragging a cyclone fence around this dirt field. So, but I got it done. And it's grown and growing. We have germination. To me, that's a, that's like a, that's probably a 3 million view TikTok video right there watching you do, (laughs) do all of that work. Well, good on you for, for persevering and getting it done. It takes me back to whenever I first started tinkering with food plots. And of course you don't have any of the equipment you need and you just, someone's listening to this right now and they're like, I was just out with my garden rake, (laughs) putting one in and I hear you, we all were there. And so it's truly a labor of love. So I got one. It's it's not nearly as good as that one, I don't think, but it's it's pretty typical of me. So I went down to the range and everything is dialed in on my bow right now. As a matter of fact, you, you reach that point where your broadheads are hitting right where your field points are. Everything's on. And so I don't, when I hit that point, I don't like to shoot a ton. I like to just do what I call maintenance shooting. Go shoot, you know, maybe 15, 20 arrows every couple of days or so just to stay sharp, make sure nothing got bumped. And that's where I'm at. And I like to shoot at different distances. And so I get down to the range and typically I like to start at what I, 40 yards is where I'd like to start and then work my way in from there. And it's just the old adage that it just seems, everything seems easier if you start further out and work your way in. And so I'm out there and I'm shooting and, you know, I hear the, I hear the arrow hit the target, but I can't quite see it. You know, there's some shadows and I can't see exactly where it hit. Then I shoot another one and I hear it hit the target. That, something sounds weird about that target. I'm not sure what it is. So I go, by the way, the doctor's already laughing, ready, ready to fall out of his seat over there. So I start walking down. I'm like, I better stop at that one. I'm not sure. Something does not seem right. And I get down there and I look and I see one arrow barely hanging in the bottom. Like These are bag targets. It's like barely hanging in the flap where the target's sewn together. And just sort of, and then I don't see the other arrow. And so keep in mind too, I have seven arrows left and I'm thinking going into the season, you know, seven arrows is good. I really probably don't need more than that. But then if you're down to six arrows, now you're thinking, well, maybe I better get some more in case something weird happens. Well, apparently that first arrow just nicked the bottom of the target and it's buried somewhere back in, and I could not find it. I mean, I spent most of my time at the range looking for that arrow. And here I look down at my bow and I'm shooting a single pin sight, a wonder, wonderful sight by HHA and it's set on 30 instead of 40. Yep. So there I am shooting my first, luckily I only shot two or I might've lost all my arrows. So I at least was able to to pull myself together uh, after two and realize that something wasn't right. So anyway, yeah, you know, beautiful Easton full metal jacket arrow buried somewhere out there. And that caused me to then turn around and buy another half dozen arrows so that I have plenty (laughs) I'm only, and because, you know, you can't just order up, you know what, I'm going to order up two or three more arrows. It just doesn't work that way. You got to buy six. So I'm going to build three of those and hold on to the other three uh, until I need them. But anyway, yeah. So there you go. Check your site, single, especially if you've got single pin. And there, and I'm thinking too, I'm glad I learned this lesson on the range because what if I was messing around and I go out and I'm in the woods and I got it set at 30 and a deer comes in at 15. That's right. Or vice versa. You know, you have it set at 15 and deer comes in at 30. Yeah. Yeah. So that's geez. my B team report. My B team, all these B team deals always end up costing money. Did you ever notice that? 
and or time or your pride. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> last two, my last two were a rangefinder that I lost and then later found after I bought a new one. So that's you know a couple hundred, few hundred bucks. Half dozen arrows nowadays isn't the old. You know, you used to get a dozen for a hundred bucks back in the day. And those were the top of the line ones. Now you get six for like 125 and they're not even, they're not even cut to size or anything. So anyway, I'm costing myself a lot of money due to stupidity. <laughs> All right. That's the B team report uh, for this episode. Hey, send us your B team stories. I'd like to share some listener B team stories as well. So if you have one, send it to us. We'd love to have it. Hey, we got a lot of rain in recent days. As you mentioned, it's greening things up. I'm getting a lot of pictures now, Mike, of multiple deer in my food plots. I got some cool pictures I was just looking at before we came on of deer and turkey out there together working the food plot. So that's cool. Also, I was getting a little concerned. My target buck had been missing for a couple of weeks. Well, he showed back up again. So he's around. I also got a cool picture if anyone follows my Instagram I put on my Instagram story of a buck where the velvet is just hanging off his antlers. And that would, that happened on August 30th, I think, or August 31st. So velvet's coming off. Our friend Ron Hawes, friend of the show, already got his first deer in Delaware. They had an antlerless only season and September 1, the day we're recording, it's opening day. You can shoot a buck in that state now. So I share all these things just to say it's on Mike. It is on. And, uh, we are, it sounds like you're a little bit further ahead than I am, but I will get there as I always do. It's just the good thing is now is I actually have the time and I have um, a lot more of availability to get out and tinker and tweak and get these, these things done around here on top of actually, I got to get some scouting done for some new public ground access up here. So I got, I got my work cut out for me, but I'm up for the challenge. Yeah. You're there though. You got plenty of time. There's still still a month to go. And, you know, for me, I think the big thing is once my plots germinated, then I'm watching the weather like crazy because that's kind of the danger time. If they germinate, but then you don't get any rain, you're in trouble. But now I think with that torrential all day rain that we had the other day and where I see the size of my plants at, I'm feeling pretty good about it. So I'm not going to be as nervous. I think they're going to make it at this point. So they've reached that. If you're in a spot that's not getting the rain and you're nervous, uh, we'll all do a rain dance for you because that's a nervous time for sure. You put all that effort in. So, uh, hey, I'm going to head over our, our West Central Pennsylvania branch, new branches at our county fair. I've been spending some time there talking with folks about the NDA. So that's kind of been fun. So it's fair season, hunting season. we got footballs in the air. It's just all kinds of cool stuff going on. Mike, is there a better time of the year than right now? There is not. Short answer, there is not. Yeah. A shout out to our volunteers, by the way, our NDA volunteers, because uh, our president, Mike D, he's been over there spending almost full days at the fair talking to people. Uh, there's just so much passion among our volunteers and our and, and folks that are out there just slinging it for the NDA. And I just want to make sure you know directly from me and all of us on the team that we do appreciate it. I mean, it's hard work, but you do it because you love deer, you love deer hunting, and you love this organization. So thank you so much for that. And Mike, you're a volunteer as well. I mean, so we appreciate you being here as well. Well, thank you. All right, folks, let's go ahead and close it there. I want to thank you uh, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and listening to the story about Dustin's uh, truly once in a lifetime deer. Uh, remember, it can happen to you out there. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your nice notes as well. I've been getting an increasing number of notes and people telling me that you enjoy the show. That means a lot to the doctor and I. So thank you for that. 
Uh, the momentum for the National Deer Association is really continuing to grow. We're in a good spot here. And here's where you can help. Tell people about this show, for example, and if you like it, tell them about the NDA. Tell them about Deer Season 365. If you get our weekly newsletter, forward it to them. Let them know that they can get that for free. Let them borrow one of your magazines. Just continue to spread the word. Uh, I want to mention, too, we have the highest possible rating that you can have for a nonprofit in terms of how we manage our money. We have a four-star rating with Charity Navigator. We've had that for several years in a row. We're very proud of that. So you know that 90-plus percent of the money that comes into us, we're spending on the mission. And so, again, we're proud of that. And so that's something else you can pass along. Hey, good luck if you're out there hunting already or with your season prep. If you need the rain, we hope you get it. It is go time. This is the fun time of the year, and our next episode will be the B-Team preseason special. So look forward to that. Thanks again for listening, everybody. National Deer Association, where we are united for deer.